Welcome to the Armchair Quarterback Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, publisher of uscfootball.com. we got a special podcast this week, getting ready for the Las Vegas Bowl in Las Vegas, Nevada against Fresno State, the Fresno State Bulldogs. We're going to talk to a couple prominent members of the Fresno media, television media. Uh, we got Tommy Tran coming up first. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at Tommy Tran. He's the sports director at ABC30 in Fresno. He's a proud graduate of San Jose State University. Tommy, take, thanks for taking a few moments out of your day today to talk to us about USC and Fresno State. Oh, not a problem, Ryan. You know, local TV media, yes, prominent. I'm not sure yet, but I appreciate <laughs> love on that one. And, uh, you know, really excited, obviously, from, from a Central Valley perspective uh, for this game. And, you know, the Red Wave and, and Fresno State football players and coaches are, are obviously amped up for, for the Vegas Bowl coming up uh, on Saturday. Well, Tommy, you must be a prominent member of the Fresno media. You have your own Facebook fan page up there, so I know a lot of people like that. So you're a big guy up there in Fresno. I know I've been up there. I've seen you work. <laughs> well, thanks a lot. I mean, you know, that, that's mostly what work has us pushing out there uh, to do. But, uh, no, again, you know, excited to, to help talk about and hype up this game, although I don't know how much more hype we need to put around this game. Uh, you know, when you take a look at some of the bowl projections in terms of you know, the anticipation for the key matchups. I mean, outside of those BCS Bowls, everything I've looked at, you know, the Royal Purple Las Vegas Bowl is right around 9 or 10, so that makes it, uh, you know, pretty exciting for the casual fan, too. Yeah, certainly. I mean, two teams that are ranked in the top 25 of, of the BCS, of course, Fresno State being 11-1, and one, uh, you know, just falling short of, of making it to a, a BCS game. What is the atmosphere like in, in Fresno right now as far as the, the hype for this game? I mean, when I was up there before, you definitely heard people talk about the Freedom Bowl in 92, you, you heard people talk about the, the close game with Reggie Bush in 05. What's the, the atmosphere up there like right now? You know, as you'd expect, um, the fans and even I had a sit-down with Coach DeRuiter and Derek Carr for our half-hour pregame show that we're going to have on Saturday. But, you know, admittedly, they don't make any um, – you know, they have no reservations or hesitation saying that, you know, they like to get up for this game against USC. You know, they consider it, you know, a benchmark-type uh, game for them. And obviously you have, you know, a BCS school that, you know, has the scholarships and the persona and the, the pedigree of a, of a USC program. And then you have Fresno State, which is, you know, fighting for the non-AQs. And so, you know, I think there's always maybe, you know, it's been used before, but sort of the big brother, little brother type thing. And I think everyone, at least here, again, is really eat up and ready to, to take on a USC team. Whether that USC team is, is motivated or not, I guess there's always a question asked on that side. Yeah, certainly. That's the, that's the big question here. I don't think there's going to be any doubt that the Bulldogs will be up for this one. And uh, a couple of slights I wanted to, to bring up, you had mentioned off the air, when you you had the, the sit down with, with Derek Carr and the Heisman. Actually, actually you have a... Heisman vote out of some, I don't even know how, but I have one. And, uh, you know, I had him on my ballot. I got to see him. To, he's a guy that I felt, you know, if they didn't lose that Colorado game because of the, you know, they had to cancel that, he would have had, you know, 5,000 yards and 50 touchdown passes. And I really felt that, you know, he still led the nation in, you know, uh, passing yards and all that stuff and touchdown passes. And I felt he deserved to, to be at least going to New York. And I know you got to talk to him about that a little bit. What did he have to say about not being invited? You know, I mean, it was it was it was kind of cool because you know, Derek, uh, you know, he he's not afraid of of telling you what he's thinking. But obviously, with the local media being peppered with questions on a consistent basis, not only this season but even last season, you know, he's sort of grown to to kind of give the PC answer, which you can't exactly fault him for. But you know, sometimes you you ask questions maybe a different way, or you build a rapport with him to at least have him maybe open up a little bit. So. Fortunately, when I had this sit-down interview to try to get him, you know, ready for our pregame show, you know, he was already in New York. Though most of the people already know that he was already in New York a few days before for his uh, academic achievements, for him being an academic All-American. So he was already there a few days before, uh, right after the Mountain West Championship game, uh, the Monday and Tuesday, uh, right after that last week. And then, of course, he didn't get the invite last weekend. So when I sat down and I basically asked him, basically, you know, do you have any type of frustration? And he said, well, you know, for about one minute, and a typical Derek answer, but at least it was more honest than usual. He said, you know, I was mad about it for about a minute, and I had to think about the process. But then I understood that, you know, voters vote the way they do. Things happen the way they, they go in terms of potential bias. Now, he didn't say that. That's what I'm sort of 
translating what he's saying. And then, you know, he said, then I had to turn all my focus to USC. So, you know, in typical Derek fashion, he said he was frustrated, but he only gave himself one minute to be frustrated. But I thought that was a nice little nugget in terms of what, you know, obviously we were trying to, to look for and hyping up and doing our pregame show. Now, a lot of people, if they're not familiar with Derek Carr, I mean, would you hear Tim DeRuiter talk about him, just kind of ideal student athlete, just does seem to do everything the right way. You, you know, you wish a guy like that a lot of success. He's had it. You know, he's been a legacy there. He grew up a Fresno State Bulldog football fan. I mean, maybe describe to the kind of player and, and person that Derek Carr is to some of USC fans that aren't familiar with him. Sure. So Derek, the fifth-year senior, um, you know, he is what Tim DeRuiter has already called the poster child of the Fresno State program. Um, you know, he has the the, his, the family history and the lineage. Is, of course, his older brother, David Carr, uh, under Pat Hill, when that team in 2001, became the number one overall pick in 2002. So Derek coming out of high school, you know, he spent some time in Houston while David was there, but finished up his uh, senior year at Bakersfield Christian High School in the Central Valley, in the San Joaquin Valley, rather, and then had some offers from BCS schools like Cal and LSU, just to name a few, but he ultimately chose Fresno State. You know, a lot of it has to do with that he's a big Bulldog fan. He's, he told me during that uh, conversation that he'll always be a Bulldog fan, the biggest one that you'll ever find, um, and he wanted to, you know, make a name for himself while wearing the red and the red hat, and so, you know, the last two years, and especially this year, you know, he's just the most stand-up guy. He's a family man. He's married now this past uh, uh, off-season, so to speak, and then he had his first child, Dallas, which had some complications. If you read the New York Times article when that first came out and then through the season that has been well chronicled, at least, uh, you know, in Central California, that we also did a piece with that. So, you know, he's gone through so much adversity already for a guy that's still in college, and yet he's, you know, I jokingly tell him, you know, off-camera sometimes that, you know, he's more mature than I am, and I'm, you know, I'm 32, so... Um, you know, as a guy who's wise beyond his years and definitely has, you know, what you're looking for, I think, if you're any kind of general manager or president of player personnel in terms of he may have been snubbed out for, for the Heisman Trophy ceremony, but I think he may come back to New York in a few months and maybe do better than some of the other guys out there. That's a very good point. I mean, potentially, like his brother, could be a number one pick in the draft. I mean, it's hard to say. And that would be weird because right now Houston maybe in, is in that slot. And I can tell you, though, everybody here in the Valley would not like to see Derek go to Houston. I can't speak for him, but I can just tell you that sentiment is like, oh, no, please, can we not have that happen again? Because, again, for those that may not be aware, you know, of course David struggled there, but everyone here at least I believe thinks that, you know, obviously he didn't have a supporting cast around him, and he just spent a lot of time on his back. So I think they're happy maybe for Derek's potential. And in the draft, but if it's Houston, I don't know if a lot of people of the Red Way would would surely accept uh, you know him going to that town again. Yeah, but it'd be pretty special to have brothers both drafted number one overall in the NFL. I mean, that that would be pretty amazing. I don't know if that's happened before. You probably know. Yeah, no, I don't, I'm not sure. I don't think it has. But I mean, either way, it's, it would be a great story. I and mean, if it went to the same team, that would be, I mean, unreal for for storylines <laughs> to talk about. But you know. Um, you know, it's just been nice to, to see him and, and him develop as a, you know, quarterback here and setting all those records. I think he's got 25 school records and 22 conference records, you know, and Fresno State's only been in the Mountain West for a couple of years. And you know, a lot of it, of course, has to do with Fresno State having a no-huddle spread offense, but the fact that he went from a pro-style offense under Pat Hill, you know, his first few seasons, and then be able to transition into offense coordinator Dave Schramm's um, language and terminology has been pretty impressive. The uh, I want to talk about the weapons that he has at his disposal. I mean, some pretty special guys. Another guy that was snubbed, couldn't believe he wasn't a Bolitnikoff Award finalist, Devontae Adams. But there's he's got other guys. I mean, there's three different guys he could throw to. Apparently, Josh Harper was practicing. You can probably update us on that. But talk about some of the, the weapons that Derek Carr throws to. Yeah, he, again, I did a story earlier this year and just talking about, you know, the second year in the system, and each of them will, will admit that, you know, having the second year of the terminology, the language under Shram's offense just, just made the difference in terms of pre-snap reads. Obviously, they're doing the same things. They will spread you out when healthy. Uh, you mentioned Josh Harper. He has been practicing. I caught up with Coach yesterday and talking about, uh, his status update, he pulled his groin in the San Jose State game, which was the regular season finale. 
um, before the Mountain West Championship game. But, you know, I mean, when you have Devontae Adams, who leads the nation in touchdown passes out there at 6'2", you got Josh Harper at 6'3", 6'4", on the other end, and then Isaiah Burst, which is an electric return guy and a perfect slot guy, that's three wide. And then they'll, they'll put out Greg Watson, who's a converted quarterback out there as well, who can move, and then big Marcel Jensen at 6'6", is a you know more than serviceable tight end with soft hands. So that's that's the goal for them is to spread you out and to figure out if you're going to double a guy like Devontae, then they're going to go to Josh Harper, who has a lot of clutch touchdown catches this year, or they'll go underneath the burst or, you know, sporadically go out to Jensen depending on what the defense is going. So he has all these options. And so when Derek is looking at his pre-check reads, if you don't watch a lot of Fresno State football, he does a lot of things sometimes that people look and claps a lot. And so he claps to maybe fake that first hike, then he'll assess to maybe look at where the blitz is going. And from then this year, without even verbally talking to each other, they even just have these little very discreet hand signals, and they're on the same page. And that's obviously made for a very productive season on the field this year for them. Yeah, certainly. It's funny to watch Derek Carr, under, not under center, but you know, behind there, uh, you know, clapping his hands, looking at it. Like, sometimes he looks like he's frustrated. He's not getting the ball uh, fast enough. But speaking of fast, I mean, this is something that they do very well, Fresno, the Fresno State Bulldogs do. He's able to get rid of the ball really quickly. It seems like he's, it doesn't spend a lot of time. It's not like these long seven-step drops and reading a lot of things. It seems like he knows what he wants to do with the ball, like even before the, the ball is snapped. And I think that's a little bit, you know, an improvement on his end this year. You know, last year he was playing with a with a sports hernia all season, which he didn't really disclose until after the Hawaii Bowl loss um, to SMU that he had been playing hurt. You know, this year, again, I think Derek is a guy that when you interview him again, he, he prides himself on studying film um, and knowing what the defense is doing before the snap of the ball. Um, you know, he, a lot of times he'll equate it to studying for a test, and I just mentioned earlier that he's an academic All-American, so he's a really smart guy <laughs> to film. So try to figure out what they're doing, and then again with those sort of claps and pre-snap moves and things like that, um, you know, for him, then he already knows where he's going to put the ball, trying to find that one-on-one matchup. And again, that's lent itself to him being more upright this season. Um, you know, he hasn't been sacked too often. I know he had a really you know tough game at San Diego State in the first half, and even Utah State in the Mountain West Championship game got to him uh, early in the game. But for the most part, that's sort of been the key for him is already knowing where to go with the ball so that he's not in a position where he has to go to even sometimes his second or third read um, which is not a bad thing. It's just that he's so good pre-snap that he already knows where he's going to go with the ball. The uh, maybe we want to talk about the offensive line a little bit. Like you said, they've I think they've done a much better job this year. Austin Wentworth, uh, you know, left tackle is the senior that you know, has been around for a while. You think the offensive line? How do you think they've played this year so far? Better than I probably expected. At least going in from the concerns that you know you would think the Fresno State team would have. I mean, again, some of that might be. From last year, the uh, the SMU game where, I mean, basically Marcus Hunt got himself into the second half of the trap <laughs> through that high of crushing Derek Carr a couple times. And, and so that was obviously a concern, you know, moving people around. You know, Cody Wickman's also a, a kind of a guy that doesn't get a lot of love on the offensive line, but he's, you know, just a step maybe below Wentworth uh, right there. But, you know, they've done a good job of keeping him upright and know. You know, it's not always easy in a, in a passing-type offense. But, again, with the combination of the system and Derek already knowing to go with the ball, getting the ball out quickly, it's allowed that offensive line to be better, I believe. And then even late in the season, in terms of run blocking, within that spread-style system, getting guys like Josh Kazada and you know, getting them a little bit more running room uh, late in the game. Yeah, that, I mean, we can mention the running backs, I guess, real quick, too. I mean, you don't think about Fresno State as a big running team, but not really sure trying to replace Robbie Rouse at the beginning of the season, but kind of came down to a couple of guys. It's, it's been more of a, a two-man system, I guess you could say, for Fresno State through most of the season. Yeah, that was one of the storylines going into this year was trying to figure out, you know, Josh Kazada transferring from BYU, is he going to be ready? And then, you know, you're trying to figure out if the two-headed monster and it never seemed like, you know, any of those running backs were really kind of putting themselves out there to take a role that Robbie has. And, you know, Robbie's a special guy, too. I mean, you're talking about Fresno State, all-time leading rusher and, and a senior who's been through the system and a pretty good blitz 
pickup guy, at least at the college level. And then, you know, you come into these situations. If there's one sort of Achilles heel with Fresno State is, you know, once you go, you know, third and one or they go for it a lot on fourth and one and fourth and two is can you run the football and can you do it in down and distance? Um, you know, they couldn't do it a few times, even early against Cal Poly this year in their second game of the year. Um, you know, and so then I ended up asking a lot of questions sometimes to offensive quarter Dave Schrand. We said, well, you know, we're not going to have to run the ball. We're going to be able to throw it even if it's third and one and fourth and one. So, you know, Pizzada's kind of come on late. I think that he's sort of now more of the go-to guy. Um, but I, let's just be honest about one thing. I mean, they're going to throw it first, and they're probably going to throw it 80% of the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, it's funny when you watch the teams like that that run that, and it's a, a third and one or fourth and one. I've seen Fresno State do this so many times this year, and he's still in, like, the pistol or shotgun or whatever. And you're just wondering, like, just for one play, for a fourth and one, can't you get under center and do that? But that, that's just not the way they run things. And, you know, they're not alone. I mean, I've, I, you know, and you, you, as much football as you see in college football, anybody's running these spread-style offenses, I mean, sometimes they would rather be third and five, third and six than third and one because, you know, then they almost feel like they're maybe pigeonholed and having to run a run play, and it's not something that they do. They don't line up jumbo formation like a Stanford or something and put out extra linemen or tight ends or, or even linebackers. I mean, it's just not something that this offense usually does. So, you know, sometimes for a fan or even in the media, you, you, you scratch your head or at least you get a little antsy because if you're down in, in the goal line and you're, you're throwing a lot of fade passes, of course you're throwing them talented wide receivers. But traditionally you think, you know, percentage-wise, maybe it's not in your favor. But you know, more often than not, it's worked out for them. I wanted to talk about the defensive side of the ball a little bit. Uh, I think you know, we, we talked to uh, Clay Helton, USC's interim head coach, and he was really impressed with what – Fresno State had done the last six games or so of the season, uh, you know, outside of the the San Jose State game. But uh, what do what do you think about the progress this Fresno State defense has made this year? Well, you know, it's uh, you know, I think with Deron Smith coming back and having sort of the defensive back unit again, talking about going into this year, we were actually doing stories about how much depth they had at the defensive back position. They had uh, a lot of, um, you know, returning guys with Sean Alston and L.J. Jones. You had that there. Then they had transfers, Curtis Riley, who came out from Florida. Um, and then we had also Charles Washington, which was kind of highly touted. Um, you know, and so there were a couple of guys that we saw locally here that thought that they would actually have more depth at the defensive back position. Turns out through the season, you know, that has actually turned to be one of the weaknesses for this team through attrition, you know, with injuries. And so Alston was out even before things had, had gotten together. And then LJ hurts himself at San Diego State. Then you have Curtis again, who's transferred, but he's still, you know, trying to get into the system. And then sometimes he's caught on an island and he's not exactly sure what, what he's doing. And so that has forced Coach to kind of now take Shannon Edwards, uh, which is a Bakersfield guy, and then Dalen Jones and move them around. So, you know, almost by, by necessity, Coach – DeRuiter and defensive quarter Nick Toth have had to, to mix and match, although it's now kind of worked out pretty well with moving some of the quarterbacks over to, um, you know, safety and having Washington come out now and be on the outside. So it kind of has now worked out a little bit better. Um, you know, now it's a question of whether FC's got enough firepower. Obviously, they've got Marquis Lee, but if Kessler can then take advantage of what is perceived to be the weakness for Fresno State, which would be their secondary because they're, you know, their line's pretty good with Davidson. They've got Ajo Edorine, who's, who I believe, second team conference. So, you know, at the, the the front seven, they're okay. But then at the back end, it's probably where I think USC will probably look to try to attack Fresno that, State. Oh, sorry. There, there's actually very – there's similar defenses, I guess you could say, where USC's kind of known for the defensive front, and I think you could say the same thing with Fresno State. They got a guy, you know, a prominent player in the in the secondary, Deron Smith for Fresno State and Josh Shaw for USC, the, 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 the prime leaders back there. USC had to move Josh Shaw from safety to corner just because they couldn't find people. They thought they had a lot of depth there, but they just had had a lot of problems stopping people. So you, they've had to mix and match in the secondary. I think both of these teams. So there's some similar you know patterns there. So which which offense is going to be able to take advantage of the other secondary? I think it's going to be a a big factor in this game. No, I agree. I mean, and that's I mean, look, we just you know we saw what a really NFL caliber type quarterback could do to this Fresno State defense, and David fails. Uh, showed that the day after Thanksgiving against uh, this Fresno State secondary. And so, 
you know, the question I know, I think, I mean, you may have even already, I think I've heard you maybe talk about this before. It's just sort of like if this ends up being a shootout and somehow the dog's offense is able to put up 14 or 17 right away, is USC going to be able to, to match point for point and see if they can exploit that Fresno State secondary? That'll be kind of a question to see because I don't know if they've been able to really light it up all year. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I I think if it's uh, if it is a shootout, it's going to definitely be favoring Fresno State. Because I think this USC offense is very talented, and uh, they can they can put up some points. But it's not. It's kind of a big play offense. But I just don't know if it's going to be one that's going to be able to keep pace. And, and I don't know if they're going to be skilled enough to take advantage of some of the the weaknesses that we saw San Jose San Jose State do. I mean that that was a crazy game. You know, Derek Carr threw six touchdown passes in the first half, and he was behind at halftime. I mean, how crazy is that? I don't think USC could do that. Yeah, no, I will. That'll be, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, you know, talent-wise, that's what, at least when you talk to the to the Valley guys here in the Fresno State football team, well, that's all they always tell you is, well, you know, you've got four-star recruits. SC's got all these players that are so talented. But, again, as it's played out this year, we'll have to wait and see if it, that's something that, uh, you know, Kessler can take advantage of. Uh, come game day. Um, were you surprised at all by the the point spread that it's? Uh, I I kind of thought Fresno State would even be favored in this game, but I think it's like a six and a half point spread or something like that. You'll be in Vegas, so you can take advantage of that if you want. <laughs> but what what did you think about that? The point spread. Yeah, I saw it somewhere around five and a half to maybe uh, anywhere up to eight, I guess, at opening. But yeah, right around five and a half, six. You know, I I don't know. I mean, I, I know there's one thing I know. I know to never doubt Vegas when they're trying to figure out the line. I mean, you know, and so again, I mean, if they're looking at strictly talent, I think that's maybe what they're they're looking at is that maybe SC's got a better talent base, obviously, and you know, Fresno State. If they're looking at that secondary, I mean, a lot of it maybe has to do with the health of Josh Harper, which is questionable. The health of L.J. Jones, who hasn't played since San Diego State, but he could be back. So, I mean, if Fresno State gets back both of those players, I think that increases their chances a lot, you know, in terms of what they're doing. Then at the end of the day, again, I think it's sort of, again, Fresno State's getting up for this game and how much is USC getting up for this game? Will they be playing for their potential, for their new head coach, Steve Sarkeesian, or, you know, or maybe heading some of those guys that may be looking for the NFL trying to put on a good show Saturday? Yeah. Uh, well, one last thing before we let you go. Thanks again for taking some time. Just wanted to talk to you about what do you think for Tim DeRuiter's future there? At Fresno State, two years took a four and nine team, nine and four one year, then eleven and one the next. I, I didn't think there was really a spot open for him, but now that Texas has opened up, there could certainly be some some domino effect happening. What what do you think about the future of Tim DeRuiter there? Boy, you know it's it's interesting. I mean, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing that he's you know for as much as we talk about guys like Derek and Devontae not getting enough national attention because maybe they're nestled in Fresno. Maybe that's also a good thing for Fresno State fans to know that coaches also kind of maybe flying somewhat under the radar in some of these coaching vacancies. I mean, he's done, I think, what you would ask any coach to do, and he's actually probably exceeded the bar a little bit because everyone's, well, we need a coach to do, what, two or three years, and he's been able to come in with, you know, Pat Hill's guys essentially and get them to buy in. You go two conference championships, one outright. You know, obviously, if the bowl games don't work out, people will probably look at Tim and say that he can't win them. But you know, he won one bowl game with A and M, being the interim coach. You know, before he took this gig. So, you know, I think I think his name has been linked to some of the openings. I mean, when you see guys like Sonny Dykes and Gary Anderson and Mike McIntyre take their sort of non-AQ schools and be able to parlay that into big jobs, but. You know, Anderson's the only one who really been able to, to boost that up at Wisconsin. I mean, you know, McIntyre and Dykes have taken on teams that aren't very good. And even Jim McElwain, you know, who, which was a, a popular candidate for this job because he was a former offensive coordinator for Fresno State for a while. I mean, for a year, you know, it's just sort of Tim's doing a good job. And I think maybe, you know, if he has one more great year now with his guys and they can see that he's been able to do – if for three straight years, you know, that would be pretty impressive. I mean, I don't know if there was a, there seemed to be a little bit more buzz last year when some of those openings were up with the same kind of coaches and those non-AQs. And then this year, you know, I don't know if he's ever going to be linked to the big school names. Like, you know, Texas obviously has an opening now, but I don't, you know, they're looking at guys like David Shaw and these big, big names. And I think coach 
unless they want to go that way. But I don't think Texas, you know, really wants to, to do that. I think they're looking for a big name to take their position. So as for Coach, I think maybe, he's, you know, I, when there's been talks here that he's trying to reach an extension here at Fresno State. I really do believe that he likes it here. It's pretty, you know, the Valley's as close as you probably can get to, you know, where he's come from for, for at least recently at Texas A&M and, you know, his daughter's enrolled there at school. And so I think, you know, I think he's happy here unless he finds that nice gig. And at least for now, the good news is it isn't really out there. Yeah. And it, I mean, the, the Texas job, I mean, I think people have talked about it, but that's, I think, like you said, they probably want to get a, a big name, but if they get a big name from somewhere else, like a Stanford or something, then I think then that job might be something that's, uh, you know, Tim Druder could be interested in, but I, I agree with you. I think he really likes it there. You know, he's from Southern California. He's, he's close to his home, uh, you know, hometown. He can, you know, drive back down to LA whenever he wants. It's not a big deal. Uh, but I think if that perfect job was out there for him, I mean, it, it's something he would at least have to consider. Right. And they would have to try to probably uh, then worry about how to replace him. And then, you know, and then for those who don't know, I mean, you know, Nick Toth, his defensive coordinator, has been with him for a long time. So I think, you know, they're pretty much attached to the hip, I believe. So if Coach moves, I think Nick would go. So if you think again, you know, when you start thinking about possible replacements, uh, you know, you go the Oregon route or the, the Baylor route, and you start going, you know, that'd be great opportunity for Schramm, who came in, you know, as offensive coordinator for Utah and gave Drew Fitz as a defensive coordinator. You know, maybe if, if, if Schramm's the guy, maybe you keep that continuity. And so if worst-case scenario is coach gets a job, he probably takes Nick with him, and then maybe you get a chance to have Dave stay and then maybe build something upon what they're doing here. You know, I mean, obviously that's looking way into the future, but I think naturally that would be a nice fit. And, and obviously Dave has put together a pretty exciting offense that fans have come to love. So, All right. Well, he's Tommy Tran. You can follow him on Twitter, at Tommy Tran TV. All one word. He's a sports director at ABC 30 in Fresno, California. And I happen to know this. He's a professional blackjack player. So if you see him out there on the tables in Vegas, definitely stop by. You want to sit next to Tommy Tran. You'll have a good time. Always split and double down. That's all I got to say. <laughs> we had Tommy and I had a good time in uh, Las Vegas for the uh, Mountain West uh, Media Day. So that was fun. We got to hang out a little bit. And again, Tommy, I, it was a lot of fun then. And I really appreciate you, you coming on the show now. Anytime, Ryan, and I appreciate uh, you having me on the podcast, and uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. We'll, we'll see you out there. Everyone out there, you can check for him in Las Vegas. Have a good time and a safe trip out there. Everyone back. We'll be back in 30 seconds. We're going to talk to another TV personality in Fresno, Andrew, uh, Andrew Martin, coming up next. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Armchair Quarterback Podcast. we got another special guest this week on the podcast, Andrew Martin. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at Andrew Martin. He's a sports reporter and anchor for a couple of different stations up there in Fresno, CBS 47 and KSEE 24, proud Syracuse grad and uh Love the. It's been nice to be friends with him over this past year. He's been a really nice guy every time I've gone up there and got to see him in, in Las Vegas for the Mountain West Media Days as well. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Hey, you bet, Ryan. Thanks for having me. And, yeah, I'm very excited about Syracuse, Minnesota in the Texas Bowl. I can't even tell you how much I'm looking forward to that matchup. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be, <laughs> yeah, I, didn't, I forgot about that one. That'll be uh, interesting. Most, most people have forgotten about that one. <laughs> well, that one, okay, maybe not one of the, the more memorable bowls, but for whatever reason – I mean, well, I guess there's a lot of reasons. This one is. It's not a BCS Bowl. It's one of the, the earliest bowls there is. But talking about two teams ranked in the top 25 of the BCS, it's a pretty good matchup. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've said it a few times. I think if Fresno State wasn't going to make a BCS game, that this is a pretty good consolation prize because it's 
it's interesting that the Vegas Bowl has now done this two years in a row. Last year with Boise State and Washington to play in the Vegas Bowl, knowing that those two teams were going to face each other in the season opener the following year. That's obviously the case here, too, with Fresno State and USC. But these teams are going to look completely different next August. Derek Carr won't be the quarterback of Fresno State. There's a decent chance Devontae Adams will leave early for the NFL draft. And obviously Steve Sarkeesian is going to be the new head coach at USC. Those are just the major changes. So um, I'm very much looking forward to this matchup for Fresno State, the chance to get to 12 wins, which has never been done before in program history, and obviously to play a signature uh, program and get a signature win on the schedule, potentially, uh, there's a lot to look forward to, not to mention the actual destination of the game as well. Yeah, it's a really good point about this. You're going to play, have two teams play back-to-back. I don't know if they could be any different uh, next year. USC could certainly lose a lot of the juniors, depending on with the new coaching staff. There could be transfers. I mean, the team could look a lot different. They might have a different starting quarterback, even though Cody Kessler is only a sophomore, a, a, a Bakersfield product. Uh, you know, we're, we're not sure what Steve Sarkeesian is going to do. Still don't know who the whole coaching staff is going to be, but likely a ton of turnover on the coaching staff. And like you said, on the Fresno side, uh, a lot of prominent names, you know, you know, Austin Wentworth, a lot of big names, Duran Smith could potentially be gone, you know, Derek Carr. I mean, there's a lot of guys that it could be a very different team. And who knows, even – Tim Reuter's name could come out there for some other jobs. Maybe he's gone, but it you know, doesn't seem likely. But there could be very different teams if that happens. Yeah, absolutely. And in the case of uh, Coach Tim DeRuiter, uh, you know, the best thing for Fresno, and you know, people may uh, people may not like what I'm about to say, but losing to San Jose State probably ensured that Tim DeRuiter will stay in Fresno for at least the next year, maybe more, because you know, a couple of us, myself included, have thought that if Fresno State was able to go undefeated and make a BCS game, that probably this time of year right now, he would have been up for and probably accepted a job at a high-profile school, but that one loss may have kept him in Fresno a little bit longer. So it's, you know, a little unfortunate for him, obviously, that he's not going to get the opportunity, and he still might, you know, obviously, because coaching changes happen all over the place, and it's the domino effect that you have to worry about with Mac Brown leaving Texas, who's going to take over that job, and then what happens, you know, down the road, certainly. But um, with Tim DeRuiter, most likely he is going to stay in Fresno next year, and that's a very good thing because in his two years here, he's won two conference championships and has a chance to win 12 games this year. So, um, yeah, I, no, nobody knows what next year is going to look like, but there's still certainly a lot to play for this year, and that's the way that the entire uh, team and coaching staff has approached it, basically. Next year's team will have its shot against USC, and so will this year's team. The uh, for Stability-wise, I think it would be great if Tim DeRuiter sticks around. I mean, he's a great guy. I loved working with him over the last year, and uh, I think he's he's doing a phenomenal job there in Fresno. But it's going to be a lot tougher. The schedule's much tougher next season for Fresno State, like you said, opens with USC. But there's a, other couple, there's a couple other you know games against BCS opponents. And just having at least the stability of the offense and, and defense of what they brought together, at least I would give them a shot going into that season because next season because certainly the schedule gets way tougher. Oh, yeah. Well, next year is the, you know, it's the prototypical anybody, anywhere, anytime mantra that Pat Hill, you know, should have trademarked probably because I bet you could put that on a lot of T-shirts. But (laughs) Fresno State next year plays USC, Utah, and Nebraska to open the season with a brand-new quarterback. And, you know, I'm not going to lie, that's a pretty gauntlet of a schedule to go through, and I'm sure there's a lot of people wondering if the team is going to be 0-3 next year after potentially finishing this season 12-1 and or, at worst, 11-2. So uh, certainly a daunting task ahead of the Bulldogs in the offseason. But the one thing that they know they can control is finishing this season on a positive note. They haven't won a bowl game since 2007. Last year they had a special season that kind of a little bit of the shine and luster was taken off with the blowout loss to SMU. And so, you know, they know that they can finish strong. They could send the senior class out on a high note. And USC is a team that's in transition right now, so nobody really knows where the mindset is. You've got an interim coach in Clay Helton who may not have a job after Saturday. Certainly, and I, I don't think motivation is going to be an issue uh, for the Bulldogs. I mean, what's what's the mood been like there? It seems like that everyone is fired up for this game. They got the throwback uniforms from 1992, the Freedom Bowl. I don't think motivation is going to be a big issue there. No, it's not, because they look at it as USC has been a very good program for a very long time, and even in a quote-unquote down year, you're still facing a team that's 9-4. and four. There are a lot of teams in the country that would love to be 9-4. and four. They're, you know, they're not necessarily expecting to catch USC on its heels. They just, they're looking for a good game. And there, there are a lot of really good storylines for us to 
focus on. I mean, not to mention the fact that it's you know USC, and the last time Fresno State played USC was 2005 when the Bulldogs went to the Coliseum and almost won that game when USC was ranked number one in the country. I mean, Richie Bush went off for the Trojans in that game, but even so, they still had a chance to win that game. They had a lead late. It just didn't pan out for them. But uh, Derek Carr and Cody Kessler, you mentioned it, Ryan, both being quarterbacks from Bakersfield. John Baxter being on you know USC's staff, and he you know put together that academic playbook when he was at Fresno State under Pat Hill. Uh, I mean, there's just so many storylines in this game to focus on, and I think both sides you know really want this you know really want this this win. And you know there's there's no reason to think that just because it's on the first day of bowl season and you're playing a pre-Christmas bowl game that it doesn't mean anything. There's a lot to play for, you know, and and I definitely think that both sides will you know will be as excited for this game as you could be for a non-BCS game. Yeah, for on the USC side, I've, I've been watching practice, and it seems like the guys are into it. I know there's there's some juniors that are you know, thinking about going. You're not sure what their motivation is going to be like. They could win ten games, which is it's pretty remarkable feat for having you know they'll have four head coaches over the last three months or so. I mean, just to be able to try to win ten games, Ed Orgeron kind of righted the ship there with what Lane Kiffin had kind of drove into the ground, I guess you say. But it seems like there, you know, there's some motivation there. I think they're they're more excited to go to a a Vegas environment, like you said last year, they didn't play all that well, or they played pretty terribly uh, in El Paso, Texas, at the Sun Bowl. But I kind of get the feeling that I know Fresno is going to be excited for this one, but I I think the USC the, the USC players are are not going to just sleepwalk through this one. I think they're going to be up for one, which could make for a really good game. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, I I don't know how the people in Vegas put together their their odds and their picks, but you know, they're projecting the game to be less than a one touchdown difference, and I think that might be pretty accurate. You know, the the thing that that Fresno State has struggled with this season has been defense, which is you know kind of weird considering that last year their defense improved dramatically from the previous year. But then again, they also had Philip Thomas, who was the first ever unanimous All American in Fresno State history, fourth round pick of the Redskins, and they had Tim McDonald last year as the defensive facts coach who obviously I mean you guys certainly know who Tim McDonald is because he was an All-American <laughs> at USC and now he's coaching with the Jets and you know losing those two guys obviously made a tremendous impact on the defense if this game gets down to a shootout we saw when Fresno State played San Jose State that if another team can match you point for point but your defense isn't going to be good enough to stop them it could be a tough game for Fresno State but I do expect uh, the defense to step up a little bit uh, the low scoring game that Fresno State had in the Mountain West Championship against Utah State is certainly indicative of the fact that this defense really uh, you know, can step up when it has to. And they've gotten the big play all season. The interesting part, if you go back through Fresno State's schedule, Ryan, the season opener against Rutgers, they got lucky because Kyle Federico missed that uh, 42-yard kick at the end of regulation. Fresno State won in overtime. They could have very easily lost that game. They could have lost to Boise State. They got a big play from a former walk-on, Jonathan Norton, who is like three feet tall, so, you know, if he's standing on stilts. I mean, the, the guy is incredibly short, but he's got a lot of heart, and he's a really good hard-nosed player, and he deserved the scholarship that he got, and he stepped up big when they needed him to. Against San Diego State, Fresno State got a, you know, Marcel Jensen three fingers on the ball that ended up blocking the kick from San Jose State's kicker, uh, McMorrow, which sent the game to overtime, and they won in overtime. Against Hawaii, they got an L.J. Jones interception at the end of the game after they blew a 42-3 to lead and had to hold on to win 42-37. I mean, the Nevada game wasn't put away until the fourth quarter. So they found different ways to win this season, but with the exception of San Jose State, they've won all those games. And so Fresno State doesn't have one signature. You know, they're not Baylor. They're not going to beat you by 45 points each game. It's going to get a little interesting. But I do feel like with this being the last game of the season, and, you know, nothing left to play for after Saturday, that they're all going to leave it all out on the field. So, I, I mean, I don't know if Fresno State's going to win. I think the Bulldogs will. But I definitely expect it to be a good game. That's not going to be decided until late in the fourth quarter. You, uh, I think you hit a few of these notes I put down here I wanted to talk to you about. This team is 11-1, but you mentioned all those close games. I mean, it's, Boise had a, you know, quote-unquote bad season going 8-4. and four, and, and, Boise, and for people, USC fans that don't know, Boise kind of had a – a run against Fresno State, and Fresno State hadn't been able to beat them for years and years and finally got through this year, and it was a close one, like you said. But this could have been an 8-4 and four team or so, just with the way that some of these games come out. I mean, it's pretty lucky. I don't want to say lucky, but they're, I mean, I think you could say Fresno State's pretty fortunate to be 11-1, and one because, but they, to their testament, you know, a testament to them, they fought hard at the end of those games and made the big plays when they had to, to make sure that those were victories and not losses. 
Right, absolutely. And it does say a lot about a team if you're able to win those close games because it's kind of demoralizing if they would have lost all those games and been in a situation where they either weren't able to bounce back the next week or if they just kind of let it, you know, fester and then just were in a funk, you know, if they were able to lose. But, you know, it doesn't matter how you win. You know, people say that defense wins championships and, you know, obviously, you know, if you have a, if you have a really good defense, it'll keep you in every game no matter what. But, you know, the fact of the matter is the offense and the defense need to work together. And having a quarterback like Derek Carr means, especially in the Boise State game, they were down late. He was able to drive them down the field get the go-ahead touchdown, the defense made a stop. Same thing against Rutgers. You know, when you have a quarterback who each week is going to put up 400 yards and four touchdowns minimum, and he only needs 134 yards and two touchdowns to join the 5,000-yard 50-touchdown club, which has only been done three times before in the history of major college football, you know that you're going to be in those games when you have a guy like that. So I don't think Fresno State is worried about going pound for pound. It's just you need to make sure that you get the key stop at the end. They would love nothing more than to prove to all the naysayers out there that they are a really good team because same thing with Northern Illinois. You know, it's, oh, you guys lost the game, so now you're not in the BCS conversation. Who did you really play this season? Well, you know, you're still, like you said, Ryan, you're still 11-1. and one. <laughs> It doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter if you played, you know, Alabama, Tennessee, LSU, you know, Oregon State. You won 11 of your 12 games, and they could arguably be 12 and one right now if they had end up ended up playing Colorado. If that game didn't get, uh, you know, canceled because of the floods there, because Colorado is kind of having a, you know, semi-down season. So it's it's just an interesting, <laughs> it, it's an interesting dynamic. But I definitely think it's going to be a really good game, and you know, I'm I'm certainly looking forward to it. One of the things you mentioned there about you know pulling out all the stops. Maybe you use that terminology, but. Certainly, you know, they're not going to leave anything behind. And I think in a game like this, you saw like Boise State when they would play like Oklahoma, you're just going to pull out all the stops for sure. But I kind of get the feeling, and usually you don't see this, like USC might have to as well. A lot of these coaches, you know, are unlikely to return and you're not really sure you're going to see them again. So I think for some of these guys and some of the players might not be coming back. So it might be a rare case where both of these teams are going to kind of pull out all the stops and just let it all hang out there where it, I don't think you normally would see that in a situation like this. No, probably not. But again, you know, it's for, for these players, you know, you know, as well as I do the percentages that the odds of somebody playing, you know, at the next level is, you know, and succeeding at the next level is like 2%, something like that. So for most players, this is going to be the last football game they play in their lives, and they want to leave it all out on the field. And granted, when you're talking about USC and, you know, certainly this case with Derek Carr and Fresno State, you probably have, you know, at least half a dozen, you know, NFL players, you know, that are going to be on the field on Saturday. But, you know, like you said, there's so many distractions, so much stuff out there. All you have to worry about is one more game on Saturday and the fact that it's going to be on national television and the fact that, you know, these teams are going to face each other next year. You want to have that mental edge and those bragging rights over the next, you know, nine months or so. That's, you know, that, that's enough to play for in and of itself. Um, one of the things that if you look at the storylines coming from last year to this year, it's something that this Fresno State defense did a really good job. Just it seemed like it was a ball hawking defense, forcing a ton of tur- turnovers, a good turnover ratio. It seemed to fall off a little bit this year. What, did you notice that? And what do you think was the reason that, you know, not as many turnovers as last year? Um, I, I think part of it, too, is that they relied a little too much on their offense and their defense was having struggles. I mean, you know, bringing in a, you know, a guy like Curtis Riley, who, you know, didn't know the system in the offseason and he, you know, kind of came from outside of the program and then they kind of had to move things around. They've had injuries, you know. They had Sean Alston, you know, hasn't played. Uh, L.J. Jones has been injured for, you know, at least half the season. Um, they thought they were going to have Donnell Vercher, who – uh, you know, was a really good high school player here. Uh, then he was a JC standout at Fresno City College, and he was, you know, then committed to well, he was committed to Fresno State, and then when Tim McDonald left, then he committed to Wisconsin, and then ended up coming back. But then he quit halfway through, you know, fall camp, and so they've had that. They've had a lot of moving parts that they've had to, you know, shuttle in the, you know, in the secondary. And you know, it's difficult when you're asking a redshirt freshman or you know, or a true freshman or a former walk-on to step in there and go up against, you know, the, the number one or number two guys on the opposing team. So I think that's had a lot to do with it. Fresno State historically, you know, before Coach Tim DeRuiter took over, was really bad at run defense. They've shored that up a little bit, but at the same time, if, if they get knocked down, you know, in the past, they weren't able to just rebound. But we've seen that happen this year when they played Nevada. Uh, Kendall Brock, who's actually from Fresno, scored first, and then Fresno State was able to come back and, 
the game was back and forth a little bit towards the you know towards the middle portions of the fourth quarter, but they still won against Wyoming. Wyoming scored the first ten points of the game, but then Fresno State was able to calm down, settle down, and you know score the next. Uh, I think the final score was forty-eight to you know ten or something like that. So um, <laughs> it, it, it's been different, um, but I don't think there's been one aspect, Ryan, that you can pinpoint your finger and say, okay, this needs to stop. This guy's the one who keeps getting beat. You know, vice vice versa. So. Um, it, it, it's, it's been a fun year and an interesting team to watch because, you know, you know with Derek Carr that he can make all the throws on the field. And, you know, it's been pretty special the last two seasons because you've arguably got the greatest quarterback in Fresno State history in Derek Carr, arguably the greatest wide receiver in Fresno State history in Devontae Adams, and last year arguably the greatest running back in Fresno State history in Robbie Rouse because even though they've had Ryan Matthews and, you know, Wendell Mathis and Rodney Wright and, you know, Lorenzo Neal, you know, played running back slash fullback. I mean, Robbie Rouse is the all-time leading rusher uh, in school history. So um, we're seeing some pretty special things from Fresno State, and the hope is that regardless of what happens on Saturday, that this team is able to keep that momentum going next year and beyond because Boise was able to build a top 25 dynasty that started long before they won the Fiesta Bowl in 2006. In 2004, Boise State went, I believe, 11 and one, and lost to Louisville, I think, in the uh, Liberty Bowl. And then in 2005, they kind of had a little bit of a down year. Uh, they played Georgia to start the season and lost. But the point is, they were able to keep moving up. And once they beat Oklahoma, which was, you know, basically the apex of it, they continued and maintained it. And even this year, a down season for Boise State was eight and four, but it still, you know, gave Chris Peterson the opportunity to go to Washington, where he's already taken recruits away from, <laughs> you know, from all the schools on the West Coast. So. You know, the, the hope is that Fresno State can do what Boise was able to do, and that's be successful and maintain it. You know, right now they've had a nice little run, share of a conference championship last year, and outright conference championship this year, but you don't want to all of a sudden fall flat on your face over the next couple of years because you couldn't maintain it. So the hope is that we're still talking about 11-1 teams, you know, four or five years down the road. When you hear uh, Tim DeRuiter talk about Derek Carr, I mean, he just never has enough Nice things to say about him. Is there a, a special story or, or memory or something about Derek Carr you'd like to share with uh, with the USC fans out there just to kind of get a better feel for what kind of guy and player he is? Yeah. You know, no matter what happens with him, he is the most positive, upbeat person that I've ever been around. And it's been a pleasure to cover him and just to talk to him, whether it's on the record or off the record, because he's the same person. You know, whether they win by 50 points or if they lose, He's still positive. He's still upbeat. He's a very religious guy, as we all know. Uh, my favorite story is probably one that you've already seen. It's that video from, uh, I believe it was 2001, when he was eight years old, and we had David Carr uh, come into our studio. This was before I actually started at the station. But uh, Paul Leffler, who's a great guy, uh, does the radio broadcasts for you know for Fresno State. On uh, actually, he does football, basketball, and baseball on the radio. He had my position at the TV station um, before I did. And in 2001, David Carr was brought in to basically talk about you know, his chances at the Heisman Trophy, and Derek came with him. He was eight years old at the time, and he was so well-spoken and so knowledgeable when it came to college football that, you know, you knew that someday he was going to be a very special player himself. When Derek Carr was a senior at Bakersfield Christian High School, all you heard about him was that he was farther along in his development at that point in his career than David Carr was. And, you know, David obviously turned, uh, you know, turned his uh, college career from, you know, being a two-year starter at Fresno State to the number one pick in the draft. And it's disappointing Derek Carr was not a finalist of the Heisman Trophy. He finished eighth in the final voting. Arguably, he should have been higher. Jordan Lynch being third is mind-boggling to me, but Derek will have a lengthy NFL future, and he deserves it. Everything that you hear about the guy is true. He's a genuine person who doesn't change if the cameras are on or if he's around his teammates or around his, his wife or, or his son. He is you know, he's a great person, and he's somebody that you know, is a positive influence on everybody's lives. Now, he had to go back to New York um, for the Academic uh, All-American Award, and so he was back there anyway. And I know there's been some time off Fresno State did get to play a little bit later because of the the Mountain West Championship game but what have uh, what what's the time off been like what's the practices been like I know the team's getting ready I think they leave uh, Wednesday tomorrow for for Las Vegas but what's the preparation been with the time off and finals and all that going on yeah, it's a struggle when you play on the first day of bowl games, especially before Christmas. You have to try and find a way to, to get your you know get your homework done while you actually prepare for a game, which is homework in and of itself. 
Um, but what the nice thing is, is once the game is done, the coaches will have some time to recruit around the dead periods where other teams are actually preparing for their game. Uh, they actually treated this last week as a bye week, so after the Mountain West Championship on Saturday, they took a couple of days off and were back to practicing on, I believe it was Tuesday of last week. It might have been might have been Wednesday. Um, no, I'm sorry, it was Thursday, actually, of last week when they went back to, to, to practicing. They practiced Thursday and Friday. They took a couple of days off, and then they basically just treated it like a bye week. And this week for them is just like a regular game week. Uh, they actually leave uh, after practice tonight, and their first practice uh, in Las Vegas will be tomorrow at 1230. Oh, okay. Um, so preparation-wise, I know there have been some guys coming back from injuries. Anyone you expect that we hadn't seen maybe the last couple of weeks to, to play in this game? Josh Harper uh, most likely will be back in this game. He's listed as questionable, but uh, the scuttlebutt that I'm hearing is that he should be ready to go, uh, probably a limited role, but having him just gives them another element in the passing game. You know, we all know about Devontae Adams, but between Adams, Isaiah Burst, and Josh Harper, they literally have a three-headed monster four if you include Marcel Jensen in that. So uh, Josh Harper most likely will play. He hasn't played in a while. Uh, LJ Jones is still questionable, but I know that they would love to get him back there because, you know, we already talked about the uh, their secondary is so depleted right now, Ryan. So any help they can get should be beneficial. The uh, one last thing I wanted to talk about special teams a little bit. I think we, we talked about there's some similarities between the USC secondary problems and, and Fresno State. I think special teams-wise, too, there's been some big plays. Uh, but there's also been some some hiccups and some mishaps. I think USC could, has you know suffered from those same things as well. Maybe give people a little preview of what you could expect from Fresno State special teams. Well, their kickoff coverage, uh, they've been working on it. Uh, it's been hit or miss. Uh, when it's been on, it's been on. Uh, they've also, you know, like against San Jose State, they gave up an onside kick to start the second half that nobody saw coming. And Coach DeRuiter afterwards was like, why didn't we see this coming? You know, it's, it, he would have done it if he was in their position. Um, the, the guy to keep your eye on is Isaiah Burst because all he needs is an opening, and he's taken back a couple to the house. Uh, he is very explosive in the, in the game, but they're still, they're still kind of tweaking and moving their parts around. I would say probably out of every aspect of their, of their game that that's the one thing that they've been working on the most this season, kind of tweaking it and changing it and stuff. But I would assume by now that they'd be at a point where they're ready to go. Um, they, they've got a fantastic, uh, you know, They've got a fantastic kicker combination, whether it's uh, Garrett Swanson or Colin McGuire. Both those guys have tremendous legs. McGuire's a true freshman kicker who came up big in the game against, uh, you know, game against Rutgers, certainly, uh, in, in helping them win that game. And Swanson has had boomed a couple of uh, boomed a couple of punts, and when McGuire was injured, he stepped in and kicked off. So um, it's a little bit of a question mark, but I don't think it's going to be too much of a problem come Saturday. All right. Well, he's Andrew Martin. You can follow him. Uh... Sports reporter anchor up there in Fresno, CBS 47 and KSEE 24 on Twitter. It's Andrew Martin, M-A-R-D-E-N, at Andrew Martin. You can check him out there. And, Andrew, have a, thanks again for coming on. I hope you have a great time out there in Vegas. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, anytime, and uh, maybe I'll see you there. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks very much, and everyone, thanks very much for tuning into the Armchair Quarterback Podcast Special Edition where we talk to some of the Fresno media. Stay tuned for the regular podcast coming up on Monday of next week.